today wherever you may be around the world and thank you for your company once again on truthtoyou.org that's truth number two letter u.org i'm john and joining me all the way from louisiana is my very good friend ross nichols the author of the moses scroll the website is the moses scroll.com the moses scroll.com g'day mate Hello, Jono. How are you? Doing very well. want to hear about your adventures because, of course, you have been in another country. You're one of the very uh, lucky ones that gets to uh, travel. We're not allowed to do that yet here in Australia. Or well, we can. Yeah. We can travel. But then when we get back, we have to uh, pay thousands of dollars so that we oh. quarantine. It's, everything's ridiculous at the moment. Don't get me started. But you've been out and about. I've been very jealous. Where have you been? What have you been doing? I tell you, it was it was a little bit. There were there were a few hurdles to jump to do it. But uh, I traveled with our good friends Dave and Patty Tyler. Hello, Dave and Patty. Hey, Dave and Patty. Yep, we went to England, and that was yeah. my first trip to England. I may have flown through there a couple of times, but uh, never really did anything. Uh, but that trip was fantastic. It was primarily to chase down more clues related to the very thing that you and I are talking about on your program on Truth To You about the Moses Scroll. So real quickly, we arranged meetings before we left. So we went, I landed, on the morning that I landed, I literally dropped my bags off at the room and we went to the Palestine Exploration Fund office. And and the reason, obviously, for people who've read the book, the reason that we went there is because the PEF was very involved, or personnel from the PEF were very involved in the Moses Scroll. In fact, the first place that the scroll comes to in England, uh, unannounced Moses Shapira after he left Leipzig, Germany, he went to Berlin, then he went to London to the offices of the PEF. So we went there. We met with a lovely uh, person there, Felicity Cobbing. She is the chief executive and the curator of that building. Mm. We had a private... Look, there was no one there, Joan. It was just us. I can't believe... Unbelievable. I cannot believe the treatment that you had. So just to let everyone know, because you're not going to say it, but there were people there were, there were people waiting with the book in their hand. <laughs> yeah, they, a, film pro- they, a film producer, no less. A film, yeah, and, and they rolled out the red carpet for Ross and said, oh, look, listen, come into the sacred vault of... of like I couldn't believe it. That you had. Couldn't just believe tell it. some of the people, tell the people some of the things that you were actually able to handle. So once once we got inside, as you said, it was it was a little bit overboard. I was surprised at the welcome, but they they allowed us to. I actually got to hold a piece of the Moabitica that uh, Moses Shapiro was accused of being involved in the forgery. It wasn't actually blamed or fingered in the deal, but he, you know, he sold these Moabitica items. Some of them were statuettes or idols, if you will. Some Mm. were pottery pieces, but nonetheless, I got to hold one of those in my hand. We, we actually looked at the original squeeze. A a, a squeeze is where they take a wet piece of uh, paper type and they, they wet it and shove it against an inscription and it mm. creates, when it dries, a an inverse of that inscription. I got to look at and touch from the Siloam inscription from the 19th century when it was discovered in right. 1880. Uh, we looked at photos. We looked at sketches by uh, Claude Condor, the famous explorer and soldier for the British. Uh, you name it. Everything that was there, she held back nothing. It was totally amazing fantastic visit and as a result i'm now a a member i'm a member jonah of of the pef i have full access to all their archives and felicity felicity just really was it was a pleasant visit beyond anything i can imagine truly turned out for me to be one of the highlights of the trip but it wasn't over well hang on before you okay, go, go, before you go, go further go. i just want to just because some people will be going what, what's this moabitica if you haven't read the book and you need to get the book again the com is where you can order one of those or you can order on amazon there'll be a link on this post but um it's uh, what's commonly referred to as the moabitica affair this is prior to the discovery of the of the moses scroll that's right uh, or before it came into in, into moses shapira's hands and uh, it is understood that there were a lot of original items. Uh, it's understood that there were a lot of forged items that came out of the area of Moab uh, produced by 
uh, people there. And it's not exactly certain uh, who was responsible if, if uh, or how much of it is forged. It's, it's one of these. Yet, uh, yet. Uh, let me, let me yes. say yet, because okay, on my list, uh, the thing that one of the things that I'm researching right now, I now want to write a book forthcoming. Don't have a date yet. I'm still digging into these details you just mentioned. And I want to call this one the Moabitica Scandal. And, and I want to go through it with as much rigor as I did the Moses Scroll. I've so far downloaded everything in the archives from the Palestine Exploration Fund, all of the newspapers. We know from Moses Shapira's own testimony that he became interested in antiquities in 1871, remember the Moabite Stella is mm. discovered by Reverend Klein in August of 1868. So yep. once he finds that, the world begins to say, "Well, if we it's found, frenzy. yeah, we found the Moabite stone here. What else is here? What else? And, and what else is there? And so that well, there's evidently a lot. And like you said, I think mm. some was authentic, some was not." Ultimately, it was all labeled a forgery, and no one to this day has really taken the time to sort out what is authentic, what's not. What and is jo- and what and, isn't. And Jono, you and I are going, on our next trip to Israel, we're going to see some of this Moabitica and, and begin mm. some of that face-to-face investigation. So that's yeah, forthcoming. I'm looking forward to that. That's that. Now, you also mentioned the Salom inscription. Of course, uh, the Salom inscription is halfway through uh, Hezekiah's Tunnel in the City of David. Uh, we've been there a number of times on the Tanakh Tour. Uh, just If you yep. want to come to Israel, people, uh, with us, TanakhTour.com, TanakhTours.com. Um, and will, will, you bring them, will you bring them, Jono, through Hezekiah's Tunnel? We, I, I won't personally do that. I'm going to make you do that because it's much more suited <laughs> to you than to me. I will never do it again. I've done it once, uh-huh. and uh, it's a back-breaking exercise for someone who's six foot four. Yeah. Um, but if you're four foot six, it's no problem whatsoever. <laughs> and But anyway, halfway through now uh, is the Salom inscription, and there was a, a squeeze made. Condor uh, uh, was was uh, responsible for that. It's kind of like an egg, uh, an egg carton, right? Yep. It's, it's, it's yep. sort of molded in. Okay. It's mold, and you were able to handle that original squeeze. I mean, that just blows my mind. Not only that, but you were able to handle Condor's. Uh, this is Captain Claude Condor. Yeah, uh, people look, look him up. An amazing uh, uh, individual. Uh, his notebook um, uh, noting the the dimensions of Hezekiah's tunnel and, and all this sort of stuff. You were it was in your hand, right? I, I felt I, I don't get very mystical or anything like that, but it felt like I was zapped back into history. She, when she pulled this out, of course, it's in a, a nice protective bag. And she said, do you know what this is? I said, no, I have no idea. She said, it's actually Condor's notebook. Uh, take it out and look at it. I said, you want me to, to hold it in my hand? She said, yeah. So as I opened wow. this notebook from the late 19th century in pencil, there were measurements of the tunnel. See, they were charting all this out. These 19th century discoveries and discoverers were mm. were trendsetters. I mean, they were blazing the trail we now take for granted. We know all about this, but they were going in when rubble was still in the tunnel. You had to climb, and it was dangerous. And, you know, mm. they, they described the story of holding a candle in their lips while they're trying to read it. Uh, unbelievable oh stuff. So yeah, it, it was fantastic, and uh, so I That's got a lot of good information for my confirmation for what I wrote in the Moses Scroll, but also mm. uh, advanced, I would say, research for the next projects that I'm working for. Unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable. Now speaking of, uh, and I, I know we got to move on, but speaking of um, holding a candle in their lips while they try to read it, of course, the Salom inscription is one of two primary. Paleo-Hebrew uh, examples that they had in the day, if not what the the only ones, almost it, it was. And it, yeah, they were very important discoveries, even to this day, a testament mm. to this paleography in a lapidary. Uh, an engraved object is called a lapidary. So it's here. Here we have the example from Mesha. We have the example from the Siloam inscription, and uh, we can see a replica of the Moabitica. Of, I'm sorry, of the Moabite stone, the Meshastella, uh, at the mm. Israel Museum when we bring our people. And I'll tell the whole story of that 
as we stand around it in the nice air conditioner. So that'd be nice too. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. That's where we're up to. Now, where did you go from there? Uh, quickly, we went to Burton-on-Trent, which is the last known location of the Shapira manuscripts. Uh, we went there. Patty had done extensive research on this area, so she sort of planned this leg. It was fascinating. We went to all the known locations where the scroll was. One is now a hotel, uh, but it was once the home of the last owner, a man named Philip Brooks Mason. We went into graveyards. We went to castles. We climbed into basements and wine cellars in buildings in England, tracking down clues for potential locations. You know, one of the guys we met there is a local historian, and he showed us around very gracefully. Uh, We were very appreciative of David Atkins. And uh, Mm -hmm. so we we went and listened to his theories, what he thinks happened to the scroll, and and we spent two days there at a place called Sinai Park House. Fun place, very important historically. It's got a moat around it, Jono. No, all all I want to know is... Is it haunted? I mean, if that isn't a set for a horror movie, I don't know what is. Come on, uh, you stayed y- there? Y- y- well, yeah, and it supposedly is one of the most haunted places in England. And let me tell you, Jono, I have never <laughs> slept that well. I Bridget told me, she said, I said, what do you think about I don't believe in this kind of stuff, but, uh, you know, I know you like scary movies and stuff, Bridget. And she <laughs> said, you know, Ross, truth be known, if you close your eyes for two seconds and go to sleep... There could be ghosts running around giving you wet willies, and you wouldn't even know it. You know? So, <laughs> so that's what I did. I went to sleep. So nothing and, raised your suspicion. Nah, okay, it's not haunted. Uh, no. Right. no, I don't want to ruin okay. it for, for the business there if they're attracting people to go visit the ghost. But uh, anyway, I love a place called Sinai, and it was fun. We did that. Yeah. Now, while, while you were there, you were documenting on your blog, and I want to mention this because you've been you've been very active on the blog in the last few weeks. So just um, bring people up to speed with what you're doing there on yeah. themosescroll.com. So the month of August, 1883, is pivotal in the story of the Shapira Scroll, and uh, or I should say the Shapira Manuscript. So what happens mm. is I knew when I was working on the book that it was almost day by day some new information was coming out. Ginsburg was publishing his transcription, his translation, comments, newspaper articles were appearing first in England, primarily the London Times, the Athenaeum, uh, the Mercury Leeds. All these newspapers were publishing news out of the, the British Museum, which was then being picked up, as we say, on the wire. And it was, it was mm. put out in the New York Times, papers everywhere in the world. August of 83, people were literally sitting on the edge of their seats. So what I decided to do was to try to recreate that feel. And so I decided that I would begin publishing whole articles from newspapers. I'm literally typing this in. Uh, into my blog, here's what the new, the London Times said, August whatever, and and so people can follow along. Now I've already since August the first, uh, I've got I don't know twenty twenty blog posts. Some are longer than others, but if mm. a person goes back to that first blog post and reads along, they'll get a feel because there are some things on my blog that I just edited down for the book. I mean, this thing would be Mm -hmm. a 1,000 pages if I did it all. But the blog is going to be pretty complete for the month of August, and and so I appreciate you bringing that up. I think people who've kind of got caught up in the story, it does create that feel like you wake up in August of 1883 and read the newspaper. Mm. So that's that's what's going on on the blog. We we left Burton-on-Trent, Jono, after two days there, wonderful time, went back to London, we went to uh, the British Museum, went into the room called the King's Library, where the scroll, portion of the scroll was on display. And I have to tell you, it it felt incredible to be in places where I knew the scroll had been, you know. Mm. So so we Mm. took photos, and a lot of that, it looks, I, I took pictures, and I have engravings you know, like prints from the 1880s, and it looks exactly the same. So this building, Mm. this room, 
has not changed. It, it's identical, and I could, uh, if I could close my eyes, I could imagine being one of the crowd pressing up to the display case, dimly lit in the King's Library. Mm. By the way, those cases are still there. They're still dimly lit, and, and imagining the <laughs> scroll in that cabinet. And then the final stop uh, was, was really beneficial for us. Uh, we went to a place called Bernard Corch Limited. This is a very high-end oh, yeah. bookseller, rare books. Mm-hmm. And uh, we met with a young guy there who is one of the employees at uh, Bernard Corch, and, and young Alfred Pasternak. We coordinated with him before. I told him what I wanted to look at. So we actually looked at the original catalogs where the Moses scroll was advertised for sale. We saw the first one. We saw the very last mention, which was September of 1888. And mm-hmm. I won't say much yet, but we found some things on that trip that I'll be publishing in, in, in the future. Uh, new leads. Mm-hmm. We, we, we discovered some new leads. Fascinating stuff. We didn't find the scroll, although Patty jokingly walked up to a box on a shelf and she said, "Can I? Can I just? Can I just open this box just in case?" <laughs> and I was thinking, wouldn't that be something? Yeah, there it is. It's a bunch of leather strips. Go to themosescroll.com and read those articles and get involved, people. Now we have been going through systematically the Moses Scroll. Uh, reading it through and uh, expounding upon the material there. we I'm not even exactly sure where we're up to. I think we have passed Edom, uh, or at least uh, the land of uh, uh, Seir. I always, I'm so dyslexic with this name, Ross. It's Seir or Seir? Seir. Yeah, Seir, yeah. yeah Seir. Right. I think I was calling it Seir. Uh, the land of Seir. Okay, so uh, what became known as Edom it's not referred to in the Moses Scroll, nor in Deuteronomy, by the way, yeah. as Edom, uh, but it is referred to as the land of Seir, uh, where Esau mm-hmm. has uh, dispossessed uh, the, the, the people who are there, and they have uh, come to possess the land. Don't mess with them. Don't be don't be provoking them, because uh, Elohim says, I have given them that land to possess. And by the way... Now you're going to be moving past Moab, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's the same. Don't be messing with those guys because this is a possession for uh, the children of Lot, and uh, so that is where we are up to. Oh, you know what? What? Just to bring people up to speed, just little thing. You know, we we kind of look at the scroll. We're always looking at the scroll, we're studying and whatnot, and we come to uh, new little realizations. And uh, so I just want to go back just quickly to the beginning of the scroll. Elohim said to us in Horeb, so this is post Ten Commandments. This is the post the uh, the national revelation of divine law given upon the mountain. Yep. And uh, and God says, all right, it's time to uh, time to move into the land. We've done this, and it's time to get up into the hill country of the Amorites. Uh, and then Moses says, so we set out from Horeb and we walked all that great and fearful wilderness, which we, we came to Kadesh Barnea. Yep. We, we we set up camp and we're like, okay, so right, let's let's go, let's go and take the hill country of the Amorites. And the people said, ah, I don't want to do that, and uh, and that's what got them into trouble. And and God said, well, fine, all of you that should the men basically who are supposed to be going and taking the uh, uh, the land of the Amorites, you don't want to do it. You can die in the wilderness. That's right. no problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, except their little ones, Caleb and and uh, Joshua as well, who stand before, they will go in. Uh, but you, it says, and this is, um, uh, but you turn for yourselves and set out towards the wilderness in the direction of Yamsuf. Now, just quickly again, very quickly, Ross Yamsuf. Yamsuf is uh, typically translated quite often in English translation as the Red Sea, but it means literally the Sea of Reeds. And and quickly, there are three locations which people have proposed because we have three bodies of water in the Tanakh that are all referred to as Yom Suf. They all come from, the Red Sea is at the basin, and then on the right or the eastern arm, um, we, would, we would call this body the Gulf of Aqaba, and on the mm-hmm. western, it's called the Gulf of Suez. But all three of these are called uh, Yom Suf. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. the, two, the two arms and then the body of water that's in the Nile Delta. The Red Sea is the Red Sea proper. 
Mm. But anyway, yeah, Yom Suf. So people are kind of confused. Which, which direction is that? Because where de- did they? Which Yom Suf? Yeah, <laughs> depending on so where now I you think, are, you know, where, which way are depend, you going? Which way are you going? And uh, and I think I think the answer lies in the word because I got I as you know I've been going back and forth on this for a while, uh-huh. uh, and I think it centers around um, the word until because it goes on to say until the entire generation of the men of the rebellion have completely died off from the midst of the camp, and you dwell and then it says and you dwelt in Kadesh Barnea until the men of the rebellion completely died off the, from the midst of the camp. Well, that's a little bit confusing because they, did they head off into the wilderness? Uh, in the direction of Yam Suf and wander the wilderness, as we've been told for 40 years uh, or thereabouts, until the men of the rebellion died off? Or were they in Kadesh Barnea, as it says in the next sentence, until the men of the rebellion had completely died off in the midst of the camp? Uh-huh. And the word until, I think, is Ad, is Aleph Dalit. Ah, Ad yeah, is, yeah, uh, that's right. The Hebrew, right. And it can mean, it can mean as soon as or, you know, once once this has happened, so an example of that, there's a number of examples, but an example of that, uh, the use of the word in that way is in, uh, say, First Samuel 1, 22. Uh, Hannah is, is saying, look, as, as soon as, uh, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring uh, him. Yeah. Uh, and people can read the context of that mm-hmm. there. And so I would, personally, I would say, uh, I would translate this as, uh, but you turn for yourselves and set out towards the wilderness in the direction of the Sea of Reeds as soon as the entire generation of the men of the rebellion have completely died off from the camp. And so you dwelt in Kadesh Barnea until the men of the rebellion had completely died off from the midst of the camp. Once they had, Ross, they moved in the direction of Yam Suf, which is, as you said, in the direction of the Gulf of Aqaba. Because the next thing that we find is that we're saying, it says you are passing today a border of the children of Isav. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Yisav, who dwell in Seir, uh, don't hassle them and don't. Okay, so then we're down here. Let's say they they travel to Ilat, right? Okay, and uh, and then they're moving north along. They're passing along the border. Uh, the Horites dwelt in it from antiquity, but the children of Israel dispossessed them, and they dwelt in their stead. And then we turn and we passed the, the wilderness of Moab, and Elisim said the same thing: don't harass them. Uh, didn't give it to you; gave it to them. Uh, the children of Lot, the possession of Ar. Uh, Rephaim dwelt in it from antiquity, and the Moabites called them Amim, and Elohim destroyed them, and they dwelt there in their stead. Then it says, And we turned and we crossed Wadi Zered, and Elohim spoke to me, saying, Arise and cross the Wadi Arnon. Now, Wadi Zered is the uh, the southern border between Moab and, uh, and the land of Seir, which yep. the uh, Edomites dwell in. And by the way, people can look at any Bible map, Jono, and they can find the Wadi Zered east mm. of the Dead Sea uh, towards the lower uh, portion. The lower. Yeah, so they can that's find right. that. Look for it. Yeah, go ahead. I'm and sorry. halfway, and That's right. And halfway up the Dead Sea on the eastern side is the Wadi Arnon, uh, which is the northern border of Moab. And then after that, further north of that is uh, the Amorite territory. And God says, today I have begun. By the way, what else is significant about the Wadi Arnon Ross for us? Uh, it's where the scroll was discovered. That's right. Very That's where interesting. The was yep. Today I have begun to give before you Sion, the Amorite king of Heshbon and his land. And we went out to meet Sion towards Jahaz. And we smote him until no survivor remained to him. Now, I think we talked about this last time we spoke when it says no survivor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's talking about the army. It's not talking about a total genocide, as is added into the book of Deuteronomy. It says uh, added into that text is women and children and, and uh, you know, everything. By the way, let, uh, let, me, find... let me jump in one second here, Jonah. We're going to see this. I don't want to derail you. But this idea in, in the Hebrew Bible or the study of the Hebrew Bible, scholars refer to this as harem. Uh, it, it's a ban of total destruction. So you see it throughout the book of Joshua in particular, where they go from place mm. to place and, and destroy uh, all the inhabitants, men, women, children, dogs, cats, you know, the whole thing, kill them all. Mm. Well, it's interesting that when you read the Moses scroll, where you would expect to find a harem, total destruction, uh, men, women, children, 
it's not here. In it's no okay. case is it here. And interestingly enough, scholars believe that that was a later interpolation. Mm. So so continue because you're where you're at right now. Uh, and we smote him until no survivor remained to him and captured all of his cities and so forth. Uh, in Deuteronomy, that's roughly we're in chapter two, verse thirty through thirty-five, mm-hmm. thirty-six, and yep. and there it does have all of that, but it's lacking here. It's like that whole section is not there. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Yep. No, no, that's that's great. Yep. Uh, captured all of his cities from Aroa, which is on the rim of the Wadi Arnon, uh, unto the Gilad, unto the Wadi Jabrook, the entirety. Elohim gave before us. Now that's the whole coastal section, the east side of the uh, of the Dead Sea Basin, all the way up towards the um, uh, the Gilad, which is sort of the low. It's not quite. We haven't quite made it up into the uh, Golan Heights yet, but it's quite a distance, Ross. Yep. And and let me let me say something here. We mentioned last week, so we won't go into that other than point things out as we reach these points today. But, but we said that scholars have often looked at Deuteronomy's travel itinerary and said, mm. hey, the geography's confused. But in the Moses scroll, you just made it very clear, Jonah, you cross the mm. Wadi Zeret, you move into this particular people group, then you cross the Wadi Arnon, you then move into this people group, then you cross, you know, you pass Jabok, you do this, you do it. And and then, but in Deuteronomy, it has you going back and forth. For mm. for instance, mm. we are now moving into the text, and you can pick up, I think, where we left off, and we turned and we crossed in the direction of the Wadi Jabok, uh, because then we get to the border of the people of Ammon. Mm. Now, in Deuteronomy, that's before all of this. But it doesn't mm. make sense geographically. We know where Ammon is. We know where the people of Ammon. If you follow Deuteronomy, look at Deuteronomy 2.18. Um, today, let's see if this is it. Let me make sure. Yeah. Today you are to cross the border of Moab at or R. Now, we just read that. And when you mm-hmm. approach the territory of the people of Ammon, do not harass them. But wait a minute. We were if we were following Deuteronomy, we were already in Deuteronomy 2 verse 31, 32, 33, 34 because mm. we're dealing with Sihon. Well, you're not going right. you're not going to get to Sihon until no. so anyway, so this is so we have to chat. We we jump back to Deuteronomy two nineteen, yeah, uh, or thereabouts, and uh, yeah, it's all over. It's all over the place in Deuteronomy, but it's it's a it's a smooth itinerary in the Moses scroll, of course, Very good. as it should That's be. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we uh, then where are we up to now? So we turn and we cross in the direction of Wadi Jabuk, uh, further north, and Elohim spoke to me saying, "You are passing the border of the land of the children of Ammon." Now, of course, uh, Ammon is further east it's further east so the uh, the amorites are along the sort of the the east bank of the um uh the basin there and uh amon and and, and those and that that hill country there and amon are just a little further east and they don't intrude upon them at all an interesting thing and we may have mentioned this last time we spoke but it refers to them of course as the children of lot interesting that it mentions lot um yeah. the as we understand in genesis to be the nephew of abram uh the the scroll doesn't mention abraham isaac and jacob but it does mention lot here mm-hmm. uh okay and and as, these, th- this is the region that that family would possess this is the region mm. of the children of lot you have uh, Moab and Ammon and you know all of these family groups which are attached to um, the uh, the children of Lot. So, yep, right. Mm-hmm. Rephaim dwelt in it from antiquity, Ross, and the Ammonites called them Azamzumim, and Elohim destroyed them from before their faces, and they dwelt in their stead. Did you well, say, did this you is where say, a, did you say Azamzumim? I said Azamzumim. What do you have in Deuteronomy? In Deuteronomy, it says Zamzumim. It doesn't it have does. Azamzumim. Huh. Interesting. What does, what does Zamzumim mean? I don't know. What did did we look at this? Well, what does it mean? I you. think you looked at it. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, speculation on this word. Ancient speculation. If we go back, say, to uh, Ibn Ezra, 
he claims that this word is not Hebrew. This is a foreign word. He doesn't know what it means. Um, other commentators tie the latter half of the name Zam Zumim, the Zumim part, because the Zumim appears in uh, in Genesis, mm-hmm. and they go, well, um, this means to plot or devise, perhaps with evil intent. Mm. Um, the Moses scroll renders a Zamzumim, which is an ayin at the beginning of the word, which is missing in uh, in Deuteronomy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I found this particularly fascinating, Ross. I'm ready because I thought, well, this. This can't be too hard. Um, all we need to do is search and see if there is, if the latter part of the word is in fact a, a, a Hebrew word, then the first part of the word must be its own word. Mm-hmm. And it didn't take too long to see that uh, what it seems to be saying is goats plotting or plotting goats. Mm-hmm. And it made me laugh. Izim is goats. Zmom is is to plot, right? Mm. And, uh, and I thought this is just a funny thing because it makes so much sense. If you're talking about a people um, that they they dispossessed, but there was they, evidently there were issues with these people, and uh, they referred to them as such, um, then then as a, as an individual who has had goats, Ross, yeah, I know exactly what that means. And I thought that's so funny. I came back to Christine, my wife, and I said, if I were to ask you, um, let's say I'm a farmer, I've always had sheep, I've had cows, and I'm thinking about having goats. I don't know much about them. I know what a goat is. But how would you describe them to me? And and immediately she said, mischievous. Uh And I said, that's right. (laughs) And anyone who has had goats absolutely knows that goats are intelligent. They're browsers. They're not grazers like sheep. Sheep are always looking down and they just follow after each other. Goats are looking up and they're going... Where can I be? How can I get no on top wants... of that vehicle? How, yeah, can I... <laughs> how can I, as we have seen in uh, uh, directly across the Dead Sea in Engedi, like we've we've been to Engedi, people park and they don't know these things, right? They park in the car park and they park with um, uh, there, there are trees uh, growing in front of them and the branches spread out over and above the cars and they don't think, oh, there's a problem here. Of course, there's no problem here, and they come back to find that their car's all dented up because there's a huge goat on top of that car <laughs> trying to get to the leaves yeah. that are on those branches, right? He's, so he's plotting. No they're people. plotting. They're plotting is what they're, they're plotting. Doing. They go, where? what can I do? And they, they, they think they're more intelligent and they think, how can I get over that fence and into that garden patch? How can I get on top of that? You know, how can I do these things? And, and goats are clever and they do and they devise these little plans and they always end up in the places that you don't want them to be. You have to be thinking ahead of them and thinking, <laughs> how is a goat going to get, I'm going to have to fix this patch in the fence here or this or that or whatever. We were always uh, fixing up a, a situation that the goats were um, had devised to get them into a, a situation that we didn't enjoy. Anyway, yeah. Azam Zumim, goats plotting, huh. uh, made a lot of sense to me. And that is another reason why I think that this document is original um, and that uh, the, for whatever reason, the iron just dropped off uh, when it came to uh, Deuteronomy, Ross. Yeah, and, and there, are, there are various ideas behind this, but here's a question. If, if you were a forger, why would you change a name of a group yeah, uh, I mean, you know, in other words, that's unnecessary. If I were doing a forgery, I would have it say Zamzumim, just like uh, it says in the to- yeah. in the Torah. Why would you? Why would you? Why would you it? add an iron? That's yeah. right. That's and right. Now, uh, what, go ahead. I was just gonna go add one one point. If you follow Deuteronomy, that's in Deuteronomy two twenty, where it mentions the Zamzumim. 21 mm. says of people great and many, tall as the Anakim. You know, it, it presents, again, a giant group, but mm-hmm. that's not that's not in our scroll, is it? It, do, it doesn't mention it's, giants. We've mentioned, well, we've mentioned this before. The Anakim are entirely missing from the Moses scroll. Uh, we, we When we talked about this, we said, you know, there's a lot of archaeological evidence for Moab, 
uh, for Moabites, for Edomites. There's a lot of archaeological evidence. There's a lot of archaeological evidence for Amorites, for Canaanites, most certainly. I mean, yeah. there's all this stuff. Why are there, why is there no archaeological evidence for Anakim? Yeah. Uh, you would think that there would be, Ross, because they're giants and their stuff would just be bigger. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah that's right. It's got to be easier to find. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the evidence is uh, not in favor of Anakim. Uh, and it's no wonder that they are entirely missing from the Moses scroll. But it's an interesting thing because in the Pentateuch, Ross, mm-hmm. uh, the Nephilim, everyone loves the topic of the Nephilim. It's a fascinating topic. They fallen angels, in fallen ones, the fallen, fallen ones. ones. Yeah, yeah. Ne- uh, Nephal, um, Nephilim, ones who have fallen. So Genesis 6 verse for what well, Genesis 6, you read about the Nephilim as you lead up to the flood story of Noah, and they are likened to the Anakim. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see that in Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. And uh, and they are likened, the Anakim, to the Rephaim, mm-hmm. and uh, the Rephaim to the Emim, who we just read about. You see that in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. Yep. And... Uh, and then the uh, the Rephaim and the Emim and the Z- the Zamzumim, as you mentioned in uh, Deuteronomy two twenty one, all of these are supposedly in Deuteronomy uh, in the Pentateuch are related to the Nephilim. Well, that's a problem, Ross, because in Genesis it claims that uh, that God flooded the earth in order that He might quote wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. Mm-hmm. And in uh, in Genesis 6, 7, uh, that's, that's where you find that, but yep. with the exception of Noah and his family, highly problematic problematic for the Pentateuch because here we are in, uh, in Deuteronomy saying, well, you know, there is a remnant um, and that remnant is Og. We're about to read about him, Og of Bashan. Uh, you know, he's a... He's, he remains as a as a remnant of the Rephaim. Do you know? Well, that's you may know this. Let me throw this in. I remember a story in rabbinic literature. I'd have to find the reference. I don't have it in front of me. That says that Og survived the flood by hanging on to the side of the ark. And we just had some yeah. tragic tragic pictures uh, coming out of Afghanistan where people were trying to hold on to an aircraft. You know, it's it's a horrid, hard picture. But imagine the floodwaters and Og is somehow going to survive by hanging. Yeah, God didn't see that coming. He didn't think Mm -hmm. of that, Ross. God didn't think. God's like, no, I'm going to I'm going to wipe from the face of the earth all the human race that I've created, and there's Og clinging to the ark. And um, (laughs) so either you know it. I'm going to let people, you know, give that's that some right. thought and decide right. for themselves which one is correct. Uh, so here we are. That's that's the Rephaim. We're going to read here from DB1 and Og, uh, the king. Oh, hang on. Before we get there, Ross, yeah. I'm just going to go back because we missed this line. Elohim said to me, and I'm in the Moses scroll, Elohim uh, said to me, send men to scout out Jazir. Okay, stop there and for we a captured... Wait, stop there. Oh, you, well, I was going to say, I, you want to, you can go ahead and read the rest of it, but stop it, and he went forth. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go. Okay. And, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> and Elohim said to me, send out men to scout out Jazeera, and we captured Jazeera, and we dwelt in the Amorite uh, cities. Now, I just want to ask you, and I think this is where you're going, to scout out. I, I remember there were scouts uh, in the Pentateuch. Um, fill us in. Yeah, that the the as we call it the spy story. First of all, is not in Deuteronomy. It's it's very prominent in Numbers chapter thirteen and so forth. Uh, it it does it does have something similar in Deuteronomy, but this particular phrase to send men to scout out Jazir doesn't mm. come from Deuteronomy. It actually comes from the book of Bamidbar, from the book of Numbers. Mm. Numbers, so if you yeah. look at if you look at Numbers twenty one uh, and verse thirty two, uh, let's see if I'm in the right place. Yep. Uh, and Moses sent to spy out Jazir, and they captured its villages and dispossessed the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up by the way to Bashan. See, it's got it's got this order again that you have to question, but then from Numbers twenty one. You you have twenty two. Remember, Balak hires Bilam 
mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. talking donkey fame. And, mm-hmm. and that story runs from 22, 23, 24, 25. And then in 31 of the book of Numbers, Bilam is killed with the edge of the sword. But, but this is interesting because the one true sin men to scout out is in reference to not the spies, but to investigate, according to the Moses scroll, to investigate Jazir, and that's found in the book of Numbers. Is that where you were going to go, or were you going to go somewhere else with it? No, that's right. That's right. Yep. So this is a this is merely just a battle strategy. Send men to plan out our, our attack, so to speak, and the next thing you know is, oh, yeah, and we took it. Yep, yep, that's right. And then if we're following, now we, we would have to jump back to the book of Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy doesn't have anything about this send spies to scout out the land of, of Jazir. Mm-hmm. But it fits chronologically and geographically the way mm-hmm. the battle would go down. And then you get to Og, king of Bashan, which is right. exactly where Deuteronomy 3, verses 2 and following, picks up. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. right, so this, this is where we are. So we're, we're continuing north. And Og, the king of Bashan, went forth to meet us for battle, and we smote him until no survivor remained to him. Now, again, I'm going to say that that is in reference to the army. And, uh, and it says, and we captured 60 cities from there. The entire region of the Argob, the uh, fortified, oh, fortified with walls and doors and bars. Oh, yeah. Besides very, very many unwalled cities as well, Ross, and all the cities of the tableland. You know what's uh, missing? All, you know what's missing, what, what's missing here? What's missing is Deuteronomy has something very interesting, and we've seen it now. This is the third or fourth time. Deuteronomy 3, 6. It's just five, verse 5 of Deuteronomy 3. All these cities were fortified, high walls, gates, bars, besides very many unwalled villages. Very similar to what we have in the Moses Scroll. But verse mm-hmm. 6 says, We devoted them to destruction. There's our harem. As we did to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, That's devoting right. to destruction. City, every city, men, women, children. But that that in the Moses That's Scroll... not in the Moses Scroll. It's not there. It's not there. Uh, and so what we have, and, and again, you know, men who, who take up arms and, uh, and go into war, they're the ones that bear the risk of, the, of, of uh, war. Um, you, you, well, anyway, let's, let's move on from all there. Right. Okay, so uh, it, it says that, um, oh, and all the Gilad, okay, so now they're really, I mean, the Gilad, that's, that's a huge area. Yep. They're taking the northern area, uh, all of the Bashan, they're up into the Golan Heights. Uh, unto Salecha and Edri. Now, I found Edri mm-hmm. on the map. It's not too far east uh, mm-hmm. of um, uh, of the um, – where are we now? We're up by the – oh, up, up all the way up past the Galilee now, yeah. uh, past the Canaret. And uh, and you can see far on, on the east of, uh, there is Edri. Salecha had to go much further east. I mean, that's a really significant area that they took, Ross. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And – and and this this particular area that we're now talking to, the Moses Scroll tells us it was also Rephaim land because Og mm-hmm. the king of Bashan remained as a remnant of the Rephaim. Rephaim. Now there's a, right. there's an interpunct here, meaning the story is going to shift slightly. But let me tell you, once again, if you look at Deuteronomy, listen to this Deuteronomy. Yeah. Right after verse 10 that we just talked about, all the mm-hmm. cities of the tableland, all of Gilead, Bashan, as far as Selakah and Edre, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. Then Deuteronomy adds this, For only Og, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of Rephaim. That matches what we have in the scroll. Mm-hmm. Behold, mm-hmm. Jono, his bed mm-hmm. was a bed of iron. Is it not in Rabbah of the Ammonites? Nine cubits was its length, and four cubits its breadth, according to the common cubit. Now, this is like, you can go look at it today. This is an anachronism, but it also has this, another giant, you Mm. know? I mean, if look, if you believe in giants... Like nine cubit beds. I mean, I'm a I'm not a massive man. You know, you say I'm four foot six, but no. 
I could I could have a nine cubit bed, but it would yeah, be right. it would be more than I needed. But the the implication mm. is is that Og, the guy who hung onto the side of the ark, must be a big 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 guy because he's got mm. a big bed. But I think that mm. this is telling that it's should, lacking. Right. So this this particular um, uh, addition insertion into uh, in in Deuteronomy, which is not found in the Moses scroll. Uh, is clearly writing, by its own admission, um, from a much later date. This was inserted at, at a much later date. Is it not there even until this? Like, even now it's there, Ross. Yeah. Uh, and this, this particular structure has become a tourist destination. Hey, look, we better go and check out the massive bed while we're here. Get a postcard. That's right. Send it to... To, to Jimmy over in uh, Tel Aviv. Well, yeah. <laughs> Tel Aviv's not there. Anyway, so so we're going to do. So I think I think there was a structure. I think there absolutely was some sort of a structure. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, Og was that big, but there was certainly a. I mean, here in Australia, you know, I don't know if you're the same there in the states, but heading up the coast uh, in, into Queensland and uh, up there, they've got they've got they've got the big pineapple. There's the big merino in. Um, I think it's Goulburn in New South Wales. There's the big a tourist, the big a touristy There's all these, thing. All these touristy. touristy things. So they have these big things, and everyone wants to go because it's just funny. Um, I reckon the bed was a touristy thing, and is it not there even until this day when we inserted this note into this text? Yeah, that's uh, a dead giveaway. Um, not in the Moses Scroll. So, oh, and also King Og, he is the uh, he's the uh, remnant, and people might be saying, well, how is he that he's a remnant? Uh, you know, even if we we disregard the the situation with the Nephilim and all that sort of stuff, uh, we see that the Rephaim are spoken about in uh, they were in the land of of uh, Moab and and so on and so forth. But God destroyed them from before their faces. Well, mm-hmm. uh, that's all well and fine, but Og is north of that, you yep. see, and he, yep. he, he up until this point. <laughs> Was able. I don't know what the Rephaim did, but they really must have done something wrong, you know, along along oh, the way. Yeah. Us. Oh yeah, and and I tell you, you just gave us a geographical reference. You said he's up there. So if we look mm. at geographically now, we've the children of Israel have crossed, and and this is whether you look at Deuteronomy or the Moses Scroll, they've clearly crossed. They are east of the Jordan Rift. And they are they have thus far been moving from south to north, cross Zered, cross Arnon, mm-hmm. past the Jabok. They go up into uh, the region. They fight Sihon. They fight Og. Now they've got to that, get this, Jono, to fit the story as we know it. Remember Moses mm. and the children of Israel before they cross into the land. All of this is before, but right before they cross, they're at a place called. Shittim, or they're they're down in the land mm. of Moab, so they've got to go south. But you know what Deuteronomy doesn't do for us? It doesn't bring them what? back south. So if you if no. you, if you pick up in verse twelve of chapter three and you read all the way down through seventeen, it, it deals with how their the distribution of some of the land east of the Jordan is given to the two and a half tribes. But there's mm-hmm. no movement. Tribes don't move. They're, as far as we know, we left them up in the region of Og. Uh, and then if you continue to read, you're you're dealing with uh, other matters, but you're still not moving south. And then in chapter 3, verse 23, the narrative picks up and, and Moses is pleading, let me cross. It's, it's, mm. fr- it's from uh, the Torah portion uh, where it where it begins, and I pleaded with the Lord at that time, let me cross over. But see, he's already back south. He's already but, there. Yeah, that's it. But now the Moses scroll does what for us, mm-hmm. Jono? Well, it, that's, a, that's a really good point. I'm glad that you highlighted that. So the next words on the Moses scroll is, and we turned and we set toward we set out towards the south, or we set out towards the Negev, yep. and we dwelt in front of Beit Peor. Where is that, Ross? Beit Peor is is going to be much south, so you have to do what the Moses Scroll says and what the canonical Deuteronomy doesn't tell us. It mm. You have to turn south. You have to go all the way back down to that region that puts us around where Moses makes his final glance and Nebo and, and looks from Pisgah and 
all of these places that are mentioned, but but it doesn't tell us they went there. It just all of a sudden zap, mm. they're they're in this region. Bang. So I think this yeah. is perfect, and and then this leads us into now. By the way, I should say that uh, what follows this dwelled in front of Beit Peor is an episode that is now a part of the bad history of the children of Israel. Probably one of the worst episodes. Mm. Uh, you could you could list it up there with the golden calf or the molten calf. Mm. The the children of Israel commit horrible deeds with the daughters of Moab and the daughters of Midian, if you mm. will. But that's not in Deuteronomy either, by the way. No, that no, we got to go to Numbers chapter twenty five. That's right. And if we go to Numbers twenty five, we get a similar, though not identical, story. Because if you read Numbers chapter 25, there is this idea that we see in the Moses scroll where they participated in, uh, let's just say, uh, whoring around, or how, how does the, the Bible say it? I think... Uh, well, uh, oh, in, in Numbers 25? Yeah, yeah. No, you want to look that up. I don't have that in, in front of me, but... Yeah. Um, but you're quite right. It, it's well. Before we even get there, by the way, I just realised okay. I said something further back uh, where, where I said um, while you're looking that up, uh, we have no idea what what uh, Refa, what the Rephaim did, but it must have been. <laughs> we assume it must have been pretty bad. We don't know what the um, uh, the Ammonites, um, uh, Amorites, the Amorites did. Uh, it doesn't go into detail. The Moses Scroll consistently refrains from moral condemnation and judgment because we don't need to know. Yeah. We don't need to know because our highest authority, God, is saying, yeah, and I moved them on. Yeah, That's and I right. destroyed them from before mm-hmm. their faces. Yeah, and I did this. What, what do you, what, what, I don't need to justify myself to you. You just need to know that I'm doing it. I'm all, and, and by the way, if you do what you're told, I'm also going to do it to the people that you will dispossess. Uh, I'll, I'll have more to say about that a little later on as we continue on in these programs. But it's, uh, it's just interesting and worth noting. Now, we do, when it comes to the conduct of the Israelites, as you point out, we really hear about those details. Are you in Numbers 25? I am. I am. And, and, and I was right. What, what we get in the Moses scroll is a summary, if you will, or, or just perhaps the original text. And it basically just says that when they turned and went south and dwelled in front of Beit Peor, uh, the daughters of Moab went out or went forth at that time, and the women of mm-hmm. Midian to meet you. They called you to eat from their sacrifices. You ate from their sacrifices. You drank from their libations. You bowed to their gods, and you whored with the Midianite women, and you were joined to Baal Peor at that time. And and that that similar that is similar to what we read in Numbers chapter 25. But mm-hmm. Numbers 25 goes into a very specific incident that happens when a man of the children of Israel takes one of these yep. women into Cosby. Yeah, takes into the tent of meeting and mm. we get I guess we infer the text infers that this is a uh, a sexual event and Pinchas in in Numbers 25 Mm. stabs through both of them, presumably while they're in the act in the holiest place. And and that stops this plague. None of what that. plague? Yeah. Uh, what plague? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I thought there was a plague. Isn't there a plague? No, I no don't plague? know. But you, in Numbers, where does it talk about a plague? All of a sudden, someone's getting, two people are getting stabbed and it stops a plague? What plague? Well, the only mention of plague, good thing that you bring that up, is Numbers 25-9, or 25-8. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000, Jonah. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Numbers is telling us all of a sudden that a plague was stopped and we're, we're to assume that, oh, there must have been a plague as a result. We don't hear anything about it? Is The numbers doesn't mention anything? Well, let me ask you this. Does the Moses scroll tell us that there's a plague and then it stopped? It certainly does. Does it really? Imagine <laughs> it that. Does. Let, me, <laughs> let me tell you what it says. Okay. I'm ready. Uh, so it continues on. Um, you, you read up to, uh, you know, you, you bowed towards that God. You hoard with the Midianite women. You were joined to Baal Peor that day. And the anger of Elohim burned upon you, and he plagued a great plague against you at that time. And I sent men from you to battle the Midianites, and you smote them with the edge of the sword, and you captured you captured from them 
very many captives and the plague was restrained. My, here's an example, Ross, a clear-cut example of, uh, you know, we didn't destroy every man, woman, and child. We actually took captives here and the plague was restrained. But the important thing is here it tells us that Elohim burned upon you as a result a plague. A, he plagued you with a great plague against you at that time. And Numbers assumes that you know that already. We don't have to go into details of that. You already know about that. But yeah. when uh, they're going to tell us that when Pinchas stabbed uh, Cosby and Zimri through and uh, impaled them both, uh, that that was what stemmed the plague that you know nothing about. But, hey, there was a plague, and we assume that you kind of know that. I don't have to put those details in numbers. Come on. That's right. Wow. But this this does make sense, though. It tells you. Uh, now, it doesn't have the details about this thing that, that the Book of Numbers has, but it clearly has a starting and stopping of the plague. Again, mm-hmm. it, it just, everything seems to flow in the right way, and it doesn't leave anything undone. That's right. So I think uh, I'm going to say that Numbers is an attempt to write um, uh, Pinchas or a particular dynasty or a particular family into the text uh, as important. And I'm just going to say, this is another reason why I believe that the Moses scroll is the original. It just tells you that as a result of the actions of the, uh, of the, the, the idolatrous actions of the Israelites, uh, the Israelite men, that the anger of the law of Elohim burned upon you, plagued them with great plague. And the solution to that, it's interesting, Ross, because it appears uh, where it says, I sent men from you to battle the, the Midianites. It seems that Moses understands this event to have been a calculated attack with the intent of weakening the Israelites fire enticement right, mm-hmm. in, resulting in the uh, submission to Baal Peor, directly into the breaking of the first commandment against idolatry, and therefore the attack uh, required a response, and uh, some of the men were sent from Israel to battle the men of Midian in order to establish a what we would refer to as a credible deterrence. Is that fair? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, much could be said about that today, but we don't want to get political. Um, so... <laughs> Now, an- another thing, Ross, um, before we move on, Midian, the, the, the daughters of Moab, the women of Midian, yeah. are, are these two separate? Where are, where are the borders of Midian? Can, can, we, can we speculate on that? What, what's your thoughts there? Well, and my thoughts may not be orthodox in this, but, but one of the things that we is, find... Has anything that we've been doing is orthodox? <laughs> That's a good here, point. That's a good point. Excellent point. Go ahead. We, we, see, we see throughout the Bible the Midianites are in various places. Now, I think a lot of times people put on a map... How many Bible maps have you looked at that have the land of Midian and with a question mark? You know, it's, it's this hmm. idea of the Midianites... That, that they play such an integral part to the Torah story, to the, the Pentateuchal stories. You know, Moses goes to the land of Midian where he meets Jethro and so forth. But, but people mm. often put that east, like in modern-day Saudi Arabia, which causes people, I might say, with tongue-in-cheek, but I really mean this, it causes them to be in the wrong place for Horev. But, but they all want to go all the way over there. Like it's, it's almost like the land of Narnia uh, on a Bible map. <laughs> but I right. see the Midianites, what we know of them is that the Midianites are desert dwellers. And mm. I think that what we see, it's, it's almost as if these who dwell in tents, these Midianite people, mm. they're the ones who are known to to know the ways of the desert. Remember the story where Moses asked Jethro or Ruel or whichever name you go by, uh, help me lead the children of Israel because you know the desert. Now we get exposed Mm. to the Midianites as early as the story of Joseph in the Bible. Remember, it's Mm -hmm. the Midianites who bring... Uh, Joseph into Egypt. Well, why would that be? That's well, right. they they happen to be running along these trade routes, uh, bringing supplies from the land of Canaan into the land of Egypt. So I think, uh, and this is my hang on. Yep, yep. Well, we can't we can't stop there because you're referring to Genesis chapter thirty-seven verses twenty-seven to twenty-eight and verse thirty-six. It's interesting because, uh, yeah, they're referred to as Midianites, but they're uh, also referred to as Ishmaelites. The text uh, doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be able to make up its mind, Ross. Yeah, that, it's, a, it's one of the problems. Let's put problems in air quotes. Uh, or or with, not. Or not. 
with with trying to sort out the story. If you read Genesis 37, you you have to ask yourself, who finds Joseph in the pit? Is it the Midianites? Is it the Ishmaelites? Mm. Are the Ishmaelites the Midianites? Are the Midianites the Ishmaelites? Who Mm. actually sells him to Potiphar, or Potiphar as the case might be? It's a very confusing thing. But if the Midianites uh, were initially thought of as these desert-dwelling tribes, and and just like our word Bedouin today, Bedouin... Mm -hmm. The one of the root parts of that word is in in most, uh, let's say, Semitic languages. The Dalit and the Noon has to do with the desert, and so right. if you have Midian, you hear the D and the N. Often, a Mim in in Semitic languages means from. So a Midianite would be from the desert, if you will. And then, and mm. if you look at Bedouin, it also has the D in the end. It's a Semitic word. Ba on the front typically means in. So a Bedouin is someone who is in the desert. There, mm. Therefore, I always associate the Midianites as sort of a Bedouin type, if you can understand that, people. So... If I can, uh, uh, let me let me just see if I can clarify this and you tell me if I'm right. So they may well be, in the case of Genesis chapter 37, they may well be Ishmaelites, but they're Ishmaelites that dwell in the desert, therefore they're Midianites. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps uh, in Numbers chapter 25 that we've just been talking about, um, verses 1 and 2, and then if you compare that with verses 16 and 18, uh, the women of Midian, the daughters of Moab, or which is it? Is it both, or are they both the same? That might be perhaps uh, Moabites that live down in the wilderness area, yep. uh, and therefore they're Midianites. If you go to Judges chapter 8, verses 2 to 28, you see a similar thing there. I think, again, it's referring to Ishmaelites, but also calling them Midianites. And uh, again, maybe they're Ishmaelites that dwell in the desert area and therefore are regarded as Midianites. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it is fair. And I think what you just highlighted there for our listeners is this idea that sometimes in these biblical accounts, these are preserving memories that we have lost in in that now we begin to think of the Midianites as a group of people like, say, the Australians or the English or the you know, it's a it's a, mm. a a certain group of people, but perhaps it's more of a geogra- not so much tied to a singular geographical region as it is to a cultural people uh, who don't necessarily have this particular one spot on the map. Like I think mm. that's one of the main reasons that we have difficulty with Bible maps is they and you see question marks in these places is it is sort of a pin the tail on the donkey game. People say, well, I don't know, maybe they're here. And you say, well, why are the Midianites in the land of Canaan in the Jezreel Valley in Genesis 37? Why do we find them, uh, you know, Moses is with his father-in-law and he's on the far side of the wilderness, but he's still in Midianite area when he goes to this particular place called Horeb. But clearly... This is within their grazing grounds. Mm. So I, I just I think that we've been too strict on we've lost sometimes a descriptor of a people which may not necessarily be an ethnic uh, family type uh, association. Mm. We've added things trying to figure it out maybe. And the Moses scroll seems to lean in that direction. So it's really interesting. That's where we're up to now. It goes on. I don't know that we have time to continue, but it does go on. And Moses, he recalls the first commandment against idolatry and and it goes on from there. But I think there's much to be said in that regard. And I think perhaps we'll leave that to the, to the next program, Ross. What do you think? I, I think I want to bring up one thing to get them ready for this. Okay. Go ahead. So the, we just read that the plague, which the Moses scroll tells us there's a plague and that it was restrained. And then it says after the interpunct, and Elohim commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments. This would imply to me, Jono, that this commanding by Elohim for Moses to teach the statutes and judgments 
took place at the area near Beit Peor. I mean, is that fair? Mm, mm. Now, I think so, yeah. If, if you want to find this <clears throat> in Deuteronomy, I just want to read one verse and then we'll pick up here next week. In Deuteronomy 4, um, verse 12, Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. This is recalling Horeb. You heard mm-hmm. the sound, saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is, the ten words, then he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Mm -hmm. Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might Ah, do them in the land. um, So Deuteronomy Mm. 4, following the natural order of the canonical Deuteronomy, would have us believe that this took place at Horeb. And and Mm. one of the strange complexities is that when we get to Deuteronomy 5, we read this verse that God only spoke at Horeb the ten words, and it says very clearly, and he added no more. This mm. makes this text, the Moses scroll, perfectly aligned with that yes. particular idea. So let's pick up next That's week uh, with Elohim commanding Moses to teach. And where did that take place? That seems to take place in the land of Moab. Mm, yeah. All right, that is where we're at. Thank you, my friend. TheMosesScroll.com is the website. TheMosesScroll.com. If you don't have a copy of The Moses Scroll yet, dear listeners, you're going to get so much more out of this series. Uh, If you get it, you read it, and you follow along with us. That's all we have time for today. Until next time, dear listeners, have a great one. Have a great one.